0: Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So I've I've noticed something um, being outdoors a handful of times, and that is that uh, as the morning progresses. Uh, those of you in the shade, maybe sitting with your backs to the sun or something like that, you guys are okay, but standing up here, it gets warm. And so I, and, and here's, here's the thing, I, I have uh, additional challenges that some of you may or may not identify with, is that when you have hair, hair acts as a uh, barrier between the sweat that comes from your head and runs down your face. And so some of you can identify with that. Some of you don't understand my plight. And so anyway, um, I, I, I realized, well, how can I, how can I help work on that? And I, I, you know, a friend of mine, Bruce, um, I know how he deals with that. So um, I decided uh, I, would, I would just kind of go like this. And um, Brett Richmond thought that these were gang colors. No, um, the boss told me to wear this. So I'm going to wear this, and uh, hopefully it doesn't distract you, but it's going to help me immensely this morning, and I feel a little nostalgic as well, you know, so um, you, if, you, if you start to like, your mind starts to wander this morning, just pretend you're at a Springsteen concert. Like, just pretend, and pretend that I am Bruce Springsteen. Um, <laughs> therefore, we would have sung more like Bruce, but I don't know if anyone's going that direction. Um so this morning, we're starting our series in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I was thinking a little bit about, about, you know, why we're doing that, but, but, but one of the things um, is just this idea of, of knowing Jesus, getting to know Jesus, and, and that's something we all need. And, and I was thinking about this, and so I asked, I asked a few people this past week um, four questions about myself to see how well they, they know me. And, and so... Um, People, some who know me, me better, some who um, maybe are kind of more acquaintance level, that kind of thing. But, but I asked some questions to just kind of see how, how well I reveal myself. And so the first question I asked was this, what is my favorite drink? And everybody asked, got that right. Um, everybody said Mountain Dew. And so everyone got that right when I asked that question. But the second question I asked was this, I said, what would I change about myself if I could change one thing? And so I, 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 I kind of didn't really narrow it down to um, whether this is a really deep or surface question. It was just kind of the first thing that popped into my mind. And, and so uh, it was interesting because I got some interesting answers. Uh, uh, one person said, um, my my problem with anger. And I was like, well, that's way too deep. Like, I wasn't thinking that. Like, not at all. And then one person said, they just kind of sat there for a minute, and they were like, well, I mean, you do, I mean, you, I think you'd want to change your parenting. And I was like, Thanks. <laughs> there might be others who probably feel that way <laughs> in my home, but um, anyway. So, but reality is that I, if, if I were to ask that, if I was asked that question, what's one thing I would change about myself? I would like to be taller, just a little bit taller, like two inches taller. And and that part of that stems from uh, a moment that happened a couple of years ago, uh, and it was over in the worship center and, uh, Doug Ridenour Jr. came up to talk to me, and when he got up to me, he looked at me, and the first thing that he said was, you seem taller on stage. (laughs) And ever since then, I've been like, I need to be taller. Um, Actually, the real reason is that if I was like two or three inches taller, it would uh, give me a whole lot more motorcycles to be more comfortable on because of their height. But anyway... um, the next question I asked was, uh, am I an introvert or extrovert? And it was, it was interesting because um, probably the answers I got were, were more bent toward the extroverted side. Um, but the people who knew me better kind of recognized that, that, that realistically, um, I am only extroverted if I have to be or if I'm in a, in a group of people that I know well and feel safe with. Um, For the most part, you know, if if you were to see me in a context where I don't know people, um, I'm probably the quietest person. Um, And then the last question I uh, asked was this. uh, What character virtue or virtue is most important to me? And uh, I I felt pretty good about this because all of the people I asked, uh, some of them responded quickly, some of them took a minute, um, but all of them landed on humility. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think, again, uh, if, if you spent any time with me or, or listening to me at all, humility comes up in almost every, every conversation and, and, and every motivation. And so um, here's the thing, though. What if you were asked significant questions about Jesus? Would it appear that you really know him or not? You see, we really need to know Jesus, Uh, And and it's it's really really important that we know Jesus, not just know things about him, but that we actually know him intimately. Because here's the thing, decisions and actions matter. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's an election coming up this year. (laughs) Hear the chuckling. (laughs) Everyone knows that, and we wish we were beyond that. But but here's the thing, elections are important. There's a lot of things that are at stake in every election. And so our decisions matter how we think about what, what the positions are that people were voting for hold. We, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a culture where injustice and lawlessness and really the breakdown of civilization is happening. And that's not a sudden thing. It's been, if, if you have your eyes open, you've seen that coming for a long time. And, and, and we even have, today we have this, this kind of, uh, this tension and argument about, human value versus sin to say that to say that if you're going to really value a person you can't talk about sin or 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 something like that or or if you talk about sometimes you just focus on what people are doing and you devalue them because you don't like what they're doing and so there's this thing that we've got to know Jesus enough to understand what is human value and sin and then, and then, you know, today, even, even in the last number of, of, of months, we've been struggling with exercising rights. And as Paul, the Apostle Paul would say, things that are permissible and things that are beneficial. What would Jesus say about that? What would Jesus, what would Jesus be doing right now? See, here's the reality is that we were reborn to reflect Jesus. Every one of you who has, has, has surrendered your life to Jesus, you were reborn with the primary purpose to reflect Jesus. Bottom line, that is what your life, my life is about. It's about reflecting Jesus. That has to be the, the highest priority, the number one goal of your life. See, a lot of us, we, we look and we get so caught up in the th- things around, uh, around us and we think, you know, my goal is to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for my future, that, that I'm ready for, 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 for raising a family, that I'm ready for retirement, that I have enough to live off of. But see, the number one priority is, is that we were reborn to reflect Jesus. And there's so many things that get in the way and get us off track. And, and so, that being the case, in order to be successful, we have to know Jesus. And so, so, the question is, could you answer questions about Jesus? And the answers that you give about Jesus, what would he say about your answers? If you're talking about Jesus and telling people, what would Jesus say about what you're saying? Would Jesus say, yeah, 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 that's exactly me. Or would he say, I think you're, you, you misunderstand some things about me. And so today, as much as ever, we need to intimately know Jesus. We can't just know facts about him. We need to be deeply dependent on him in a way that he and his character rules our thinking, our speech, our behavior, and our desires. We were reborn to reflect him. And this is why we're walking through the book of Mark. Because because in the book of Mark, what we see is, is what Jesus said, what he did, how he thought, we see his behavior. We see him dealing with all kinds of things. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're in, we're in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to go from verse 1 to 13. And, and, I, and I would call this kind of the prologue of Mark, simply because it's, it's kind of in a different setting than when we get to verse 14 and move through the rest of the book. Mark 1, 1 through 13, I, I, would, I would say, is, is this prologue. And, and, and a prologue is this. It's, it's, it's a small glimpse set in the story of humanity with a clear separation from the start of the story when we see Jesus begin his ministry. It exists to give us information that we couldn't know otherwise. And so Mark 1, 1 through 13 is written to give us a solid footing on who Jesus is before everyone else in the story knows who Jesus is. It's there to tell us why it's important that we understand who Jesus is. And, and, so, and so here we begin, and, and, and in verse 1, Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right out of the gate, Mark says, here's what you need to know. Jesus, who I'm going to be talking about, who I'm writing about, who I'm recording some of the life events and activities, it's important because Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Then he goes on and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, And he quotes Isaiah, says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And so this guy John appears, and it says he appeared baptizing in the wilderness. And so here's what we have. Mark begins with this, his own witness, him expressing by himself, saying, I, Mark, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So there's your first witness to Jesus is who he says he is, who, who he is, the, the, the nature, the, the character, the person of Jesus. And then he, he goes and says, not only that, not only do I bear witness of this, but so does the Old Testament. And he quotes specifically Isaiah and Malachi in verses 2 and 3. And he says, he says there will come one who cries out in the voice the, in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, saying the Old Testament was a witness to th- this Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God. And then later in verses 10 and 11, which we'll get to, is the baptism of Jesus. And we see that, that God, the Godhead, the Father and the Holy Spirit, also bear witness to who Jesus is. And then later in verse 13, where Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted, we see that Satan also bears witness to the identity of of Jesus. See, it's not just those that like Jesus who are identifying him as such. It's also his greatest enemy, the one who has the most to lose, the most threatened, that identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And so, Mark, right out of the gate within the first 13 verses, basically takes from every every place that, that has credibility, from himself, if you know him, to the Old Testament, to, to, to John the Baptist, to the Godhead, all the way to the enemy himself, Satan. They all identify Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And, and so, so we see Mark begins with this idea of saying, look, this is who I'm talking about. So it's important but then we see the context of this prologue and what's going on. And in the context of this, of this whole setting, the setting here is in the wilderness, which is interesting. Because, because when you begin in, in verse 3, you, you hear, you hear uh, the, the Old Testament prophets say, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, or proclaiming in the wilderness, declaring in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And, and not only there does he say, but in verse 4 it says, John appeared baptizing people in the wilderness. Baptizing people in the wilderness and proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Not only that, but then later after we see this baptism uh, scene, then Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted. And so the setting of this prologue is all in the wilderness. And it's interesting because I don't know what your thoughts about wilderness is, but we, we tend to talk about wilderness in the context of our lives in a negative setting, as a negative experience. Like if you were asked, like, you know, how, how are you, what season of life are you in? And, and sometimes we'll say, oh, I just feel like I'm in the wilderness. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going on. And I just, I, I feel a lack of direction. And, and, and here's the thing. I think we're a little bit off in understanding wilderness in biblical symbol in symbolism and terms because wilderness if you actually look at it throughout the old and new testament in biblical symbolism is a place of hope and a place of new beginnings and that might hit you and say well i don't know if i've ever thought of the wilderness as a place of of hope and new beginnings but think about this moses was in the wilderness when he started his life over Moses was in the wilderness on the other side of Sinai, and all of a sudden he encounters in the wilderness this bush that doesn't burn up. And, 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 and he says, and God calls him out of where he is to where he's going to go. And so for Moses, the wilderness was actually a place of hopefulness that God can still use him and of a new beginning, a new mission that God sends him onto. And he found that in the wilderness. You look at Israel being, being delivered from Egypt, and God led them where? To the wilderness. That same wilderness. And what did God do? He renewed and, and, almost, and, and essentially restarted his relationship with the people of Israel. He gave them his, his, his commandments. And he gave them these promises. And so in this wilderness that, was, that, was, that contained all kinds of wild animals and, and all kinds of threats, it's a place of hope a place of new beginnings and so here in 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 mark the wilderness is not the main stage of jesus ministry but it is the place that our eschatological hope is born and what i mean by that eschatological is just end time it's the end it's a study of the end and and so our eschatological hope is born in the wilderness hope comes from that place Professor and, and, and author and theologian, a guy named David Wells, who, who taught at Gordon Cronwell and, and, and Trinity Evangelical Divinity Seminary, says this about our eschatological hope and how that works into the Christian's life. He says this, Christian hope is not about wishing things will get better. It is not about hoping that emptiness will go away, meaning return and life will be stripped of its uncertainties, aches, and anxieties. Nor does it have anything to do with techniques for improving fallen human life, be those therapeutic, spiritual, or even religious. Hope has to do with the knowledge of the age to come. This redemption is already penetrating this age. Because remember, this is the age of salvation that we are living in. The sin, death, and meaningless of the one age are being transformed by the righteousness, life, and meaning of the other. What has emptied out life, what has scarred and blackened it, is being displaced by what is rejuvenating and transforming it. More than that, hope is hope because it knows that it has become part of a realm, a kingdom, and endures. It knows that evil is doomed, that it will be banished. See, there's a lot that he said there, but, but here's the reality, is that we have to recognize that our hope, the hope that Jesus gives us, our eschatological hope, that which our lives are built on in Christ, does not, is not this idea of, of being wishful about things getting better for us or moving the, the things that we struggle with life, getting rid of those things, those things being less, or just improving the, 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 the conditions that we live in. That's not what the hope of Christ is. The hope of Christ is the reality, the realization that that what God has prepared for us begins to infiltrate our lives today and we are continuously being transformed to become more like Jesus, more of a fit in that kingdom rather than a fit in this kingdom. Because you see, we are all born and we fit really well in this kingdom. And we have behaviors and thinking that fits in this kingdom. And what God does is he transforms us to cause us to fit better in his kingdom. You see, it's interesting when I began thinking about this idea of wilderness in this light. And I, and I thought about how there is a, something innate in human beings that we seek out meaning and purpose, rest, rest, restoration, balance in the wilderness, don't we? How, how many of you have at some point in your life said, man, I just, I feel imbalanced or off track and I need to get, I need to get away, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go to the wilderness, for lack of a better term. And you kind of go and you take this trip and you go and you, you sit in, in the forest or, or in the mountains or, or you go and somehow that wilderness brings some clarity. How many of you have done that before? And that's, that's what we tend to do. And so there's something true about even our experience, not just biblical symbolism about the wilderness, but that's where we go. We go to the wilderness to find ourselves, don't we? Now that experience ends up being very temporary and meaningless if Jesus Christ isn't the center of that wilderness search or experience. But it's interesting that that we're called to go outside, aren't we? You know, th- there was a moment during the last six and a half, seven months where I almost gave up. It was when we couldn't go outside. It was when the smoke from the fires were so, in, so bad that it was, you know, I don't know, like 600-something air quality, and it was hazardous to be outside. And I couldn't handle it. You see, there's something inside of us that w- wants to go outside that, that's drawn to the wilderness. And I think it's because God's placed that there. Now, here's the reality. We can also find, if you've ever gone to the, to the wilderness you know that we can also find in the wilderness all kinds of danger, disappointment, disruption, and doubt. We see that in the wilderness of our lives. But but here's the thing, nowhere else but the wilderness can we experience God's provision and protection more fully and more intimately. It's in the wilderness where God is most visible because he does What he does in the wilderness, because, you see, we're not caught up, we're not focused on, we're not preoccupied with all those other things that are around us. See, we are in a wilderness right now, and our nature is to see it as something to get out of. We want to get back to something else. Just a thought, might God intend for us to see this as an opportunity for a new beginning to correct what's wrong in our hearts and minds because of the environment we've lived in might this be an opportunity for a new beginning rather than to just go back to what we used to be because that's the nature of the wilderness experiences that god brings into our lives why would this be different and and so so we see we see this, this wilderness context. But but as we see this idea, this this idea of hope and, and kingdom and all of that, we, we see the access point. How do we get into this this new beginning? How do we grab onto this hope? And the access to that hope. It is mentioned in, in verse 4 by John. He says this, he says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What was it that he did? He proclaimed a baptism of repentance that led to the forgiveness of sins. Baptism was, was fairly familiar with those Who John was speaking to because there was ritual washings that were common in the Old Testament in in Judaism. You would regularly go through these these cleansing rituals. And yet John, rather than an over and over cleansing ritual, which those happened all the time, they didn't last, they, they would be good for a certain period of time, but then you would have to go be cleansed again depending on what you interacted with, what happened, But John was calling for a single initiating baptism indicating the beginning of a new commitment, of a different lifestyle, of a new journey, of a different agenda for your life. And so he calls it a baptism of repentance that led to forgiveness. It's actually very similar to the ritual that the Jews were familiar with, this ritual cleansing by immersion of a Gentile who wanted to become a Jew. You see, what John was talking about, what he was proclaiming, was something that the Jews would have been listening and said, oh yeah, that's, that's what you have to do as a Gentile to become a Jew and become part of, part of our people. But what's interesting is John's baptism that he was talking about was not was not for Gentiles to become Jews, but it was for Jews to become part of the kingdom of God. To be born a Jew was not enough to be counted in the kingdom of God. This kingdom is not an ethnic kingdom, it is a kingdom for human beings who have surrendered themselves and repented and come to Christ for salvation. Because repentance, you've got baptism, which is this, this, this significant life shift change other direction and then you've got repentance which is basically a reorientation to the paradoxical values of the kingdom of god it is a reorientation to what god values as opposed to what the world values it's about what god thinks rather than what i think it's about what god is going about spending his time versus what i tend to go about and spend my time and so really discipleship is simply put as a lifetime of repentance It's a regular, daily reorienting to the the values of the kingdom. And we have to do that not just every day, but multiple times every day because of what's at stake and what is vying for our attention. You see, what John is saying is we must willingly enter into a baptism of repentance to be counted among the people of God. See, there's the access point, that point of repentance. Repentance. And then thinking about, you've got, you've got the context. You've got the witnesses that say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You've got, you've got the context, the wilderness, which is a place of hope and beginnings, even though there still are dangerous things there. And then you've got the access to that kingdom, which is repentance. And you've got the one who that repentance is toward, kind of the emissary of that kingdom, who's Jesus Christ. And, and, and there in... After, after we, we see that, that, that John is, is baptizing people, he's calling people to this baptism of repentance that leads to forgiveness. In verse 9, actually backing up, in verse 7, he preaches as he's talking to these people. He says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water immediately, he, Jesus, saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. It's interesting thinking about this, this, this baptism scene of Jesus. And, and, and one of the questions that maybe you've, Asked, maybe you've never asked, was, was this whole thing that we read in Mark, was this a public revelation of who Jesus was or was this more of a private moment? Was this kind of, if this was a wedding, was this the, the, the pronouncement of, of the new Mr. and Mrs.? Or was this that moment of silence that the couple has off Maybe doing communion or in private speaking things to one another that the crowd can't hear. What was the baptism of Jesus like? And, and it's interesting because when you look at the, the, the narrative in Matthew, it tends to be Jesus-focused. It says, Jesus, he saw these things. And it looks like maybe it's a context that was really only exchanged between God and Jesus. In Luke, it's less specific. But there's no mention at any point of the reaction from a crowd because if the heavens were torn open and a voice boomed out of heaven, don't you think somebody would, have, somebody would have made note of that, right? Somebody would have said something about the crowd's reaction because, because when that happens, people scatter, don't they? And, and, and so it's interesting in Luke, it's less specific, but, but here in, and then in John, it's really only John the Baptist who bears witness not to the voice or the heavens being opened, but he does say in John that it says that God revealed to him that the dove that he saw was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so not to, not to make a more important point than th- this could be, but it appears that Jesus' baptism was a public demonstration but a private revelation because we see as, as the gospels progress, Jesus tells people not to tell others. Those who know that he is Jesus, the Son of God, he tells them don't tell other people yet. So why would God kind of reveal the whole thing? Like, at some point, Jesus could kind of like, yeah, Dad ruins everything. He, you know, he, he told everyone. We're supposed to tell everybody later. <laughs> so, so Jesus, in this moment, it's this, it's this private revelation that God and Jesus share in the Holy Spirit and the presence. And, 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 and people see a dove. Maybe some are, are confused about why the bird's showing up there. <laughs> But, but, but here's the reality of the baptism of Jesus. There was this threefold revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. Maybe not to the people watching, but to those of us reading, we see this threefold revelation. That, that one, the heavens are torn open, which means there's a supernatural truth about to be declared. And it says Jesus saw the heavens torn open and then it says that the spirit descended like a dove. It marks Jesus as the anointed one to bring the good news and confirms his divine power and presence in his mission. And and then there's the voice of God which commissions him to undertake his God-given role and identifies him as the son of God that has been foretold in the Old Testament. And, and so you have these witnesses continue to come forth, and we get to see it. Because, see, not everyone knew that in the society. Not everyone knew what we know from Mark chapter 1. But Mark says, we, you need to know this before because it gives you a better understanding of the story that I'm about to tell. And then there's this immediate, immediate thing that happens. This is the Spirit immediately, and, and, and Mark constantly uses this, this word immediately in the, in, in the gospel that he writes. Jesus is always on the go, he's, he's focused, he's missional, he's, he's, he, he knows why he's there. And it says, it says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness again, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And so again, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness And it's in the wilderness where he faces temptation, which you think, okay, that doesn't sound like hope and a new beginning, but it is. Don't miss that. So we see the Spirit, and and, and here's what we need to understand about this this testing, that the entire episode is, is directed personally by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who took him out there. It wasn't that he just wandered out into the wilderness and ran into Satan and went, oh boy, I'm in trouble I'm in a a bad situation, I better really watch what I do. No, the Holy Spirit led him into that situation. How many times do we end up in a wilderness in our lives and think, oh man, this, this is a mistake, this is wrong. Again, might we consider that the Holy Spirit leads us into those places? Might we even consider that the Holy Spirit has led us, not the government, not China, not viruses, but the Holy Spirit has led us into this moment, in this season. Because frankly, if we don't recognize that, then we aren't actually biblical people. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so the Spirit immediately takes him out into the desert. And, and, the, and the testing is seen in a positive light, overseen by the Holy Spirit. It's a positive situation. It's a good thing that Jesus is in the wilderness in this situation in the wilderness. And here's what's interesting in the context of this, the, the role of Satan. And, and here's what's interesting. We, we know Satan's activities but from the other gospel narratives. We know that Satan was there to tempt Jesus to sin, to give his allegiance to him rather than his allegiance to God. He wanted to to cancel the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and, And so what's interesting is Satan is both absolutely hostile toward God and yet operating, despite himself, within God's overall sovereignty. And I want you to think about that for a second, because if Satan who is completely, absolutely hostile toward God, yet despite himself, operates within God's overall sovereignty, who in this world doesn't operate within God's overall sovereignty? If Satan himself, despite himself, operates that way, who can we find in this world, in all of human history, that doesn't operate under God's overall sovereignty? The answer to that is no one. No one matches that description. And so here's the players in, in that scene in the wilderness. You've got Satan. Again, we know his approach from the other gospels, his desire to provoke Jesus to sin, that he's there doing everything he can in all of his, his wisdom and strength to get Jesus off track. But then Mark mentions the wild animals, the wild beasts in this context. Have you ever stopped for a second and asked what, what maybe that, that could be? That Mark mentions the wild beasts are there in the wilderness surrounding Jesus? I think at a careless look, we just assume that oh yeah there's just these wild animals and, and, and honestly for a long time I think the mental image I went to I went to the prophecy in Isaiah where it says that the, the wolf will, will, will lie down with the lamb that these wild beasts will be at peace with each other but that's very unlikely that that was the scenario because that, that passage isn't fulfilled until the return of Christ that's not a passage that's fulfilled with the wolves and the lambs are not lying together yet What's interesting about that, that he calls them the wild beasts. Moving back to January, if you remember our series called Patterns, and one of the things we talked about was beastly kingdoms and godly kingdoms. And that the beastly kingdoms were those that, that, that were man's kingdoms and they rule beastly, but God calls us to rule after him, but we rule in a beastly way. Part of the, 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 the mention of the wild animals, they, they weren't sitting there at peace. Think of this more as a Daniel and the lion's end scenario. Because right after that, it's interesting because Mark introduces the angels and he says that, that the angels were ministering to him, which carries the force of, of comforting and protecting him and providing for him. That God sent his... And isn't there another scenario in the Bible? That, that reminds us of someone who is righteous in a wilderness setting where there are wild beasts and angels come and they provide and protect and comfort? That's Daniel. This is kind of playing off of the image of Daniel in the Old Testament. And so Jesus, he, see, he's here in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan. He's surrounded by the wild beasts. And he's being ministered to, protected and provided for and comforted by the the angels that God had sent. And here's what I think we see in the temptation of Jesus here in Mark. That Jesus is identified and approved as Messiah to the entire spiritual realm and rulers behind the rulers in this world. Satan, who leads the enemy spiritual forces, Jesus is identified as the Messiah, the Son of God, and to the wild beasts, the kingdoms of mankind, Jesus is identified as the true heir to the kingdom. He is the true king. And so at this moment in the desert, in the wilderness, God begins with the spiritual principalities and powers, and the powers that are behind the powers of of humanity and human kingdoms. And God says, this is my son for all of the spiritual realm to understand, and this is how I make things right. And all of the kingdoms of this world, the beastly kingdoms that surrounded Jesus, Rome, and all the beastly kingdoms of today, which are all of them, they have been served notice that Jesus is the true king. And so the rulers behind the rulers that we don't like, they know what's going on. And they're scrambling to get as much as they can before they're destroyed. And so what are the implications of this prologue in Mark. There's two things that really stuck out to me that I want to kind of just pass on to you this morning. One is this idea of wilderness. I have for most of my life seen the wilderness as, as a place that I want to get out of. But biblically, the wilderness is a place of hope and new beginnings. When you find yourself in the wilderness, you need to ask yourself the question, how, what does God want me to start new? What does God want me to begin? Because when you are in the wilderness, God is saying, this is a place that I have you and I want to give you hope and I want to give you a new beginning. Not just at a point of salvation, which is very true, but there are points of wilderness and new beginnings throughout our lives. And so do I see my wilderness as an opportunity to begin again with God in a new and deeper way? Is that what I see when I'm in the wilderness? What is God saying to you to begin today? Second thing is God's sovereignty. And I think this is really important for us to remember right now. That if Satan is both absolutely hostile toward God and yet operating, dispute himself within God's overall sovereignty, what does that say about right now in us today? That there is no one operating outside of God's sovereignty. There is no one working outside of God's plan and what He is aiming us toward. There is no one or no thing that can take things off track to change what God has prepared for us. How does this then apply to my circumstances? How does this apply to what you're experiencing today? How does this apply? How have you seen those around you? How have you seen those who you are frustrated with or, or, or tired of? It doesn't matter how much they acknowledge or don't acknowledge God. Despite themselves, they are operating within God's sovereignty and they are agents of God whether they recognize it or not. You see, because the supernatural realm knows exactly who Jesus is, we must recognize that there is a spiritual backdrop to everything that happens and we have to live and contest for the faith and the souls of humanity around us. Because the whole spiritual realm is way more clued in than we are. They know what, they see everything for what it is. And because of that, we need to live in a way that we recognize that spiritual backdrop. This is not just about the things that we see and we hear about on the news. This is about the spiritual reality that is waging war behind the scenes. And so we have to live in a way that we recognize that spiritual reality. We have to live in a way that we contest for the faith and the souls of those around us. Because the most important thing as we recognize The supremacy of Jesus is that others need to hear that. And at the beginning I said we were reborn to reflect. How many of us have spent time preparing our kingdoms and making our kingdoms comfortable and spent little to no time seeking the lost? Because we were reborn to reflect. And what is the reflection for? It's for us to live out in the age of salvation so that people can come to Christ. That's actually more important than anything else that we are about. I'm going to close in prayer this morning. And again, if you you need prayer... You can text 94090. You can text CP prayer to that. Or if you're a visitor for the first time, we'd love for you to text if you're online, love for you to text CP visitor at 94090 if you're visiting here in person. Love for you to go to that table and back by where it says Crosspoint Kids. But here's what I want us to understand. That we've been brought into a secret that the, that was revealed to the spiritual realm And that should affect how we live and how we make decisions and how we move forward. Jesus, we come before you today and I thank you that you were willing to submit yourself to the wilderness and recognizing that the wilderness is that place where where you were revealed. where the spiritual powers and principalities and and beings and, and they saw the beginning of your mission and your ministry. It was revealed to them and showed to them, Father, I pray that we would recognize the spiritual nature of everything that we see. Father, I pray that we would recognize the people around us, not as enemies, but as people who are deceived and need to hear. God, it's not just good enough that we, we, we throw the truth at them. It is, it is your calling on our lives at great sacrifice to ourselves to go and do everything we can to help them hear the truth of the gospel. And God, in order to do that, we have to know Jesus better than we know ourselves. And so, Father, as, as we track along with you in the, in the gospel. I pray that you open our minds, and our hearts, and our eyes to see and feel and understand how we are to live as reborn, reflecting Jesus' followers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.